that we get to be together. You might want to take your Bibles and go over to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start there in just a second as we continue our study this morning. And we're going to be specifically thinking about God's plan for our good deeds. We've pulled a lot of verses out of Titus in our first lesson this morning. And before we get into Ephesians, I want to read one verse for you from Titus once again. Titus chapter 3 verse 8. The Bible says this is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. I just want to focus on that last phrase for a second. That these things are good and that they are profitable for men. When we think about God's plan for our good deeds, we're thinking about something that God has put some thought into. God has put some time, some effort, some energy into thinking about what is good and what is profitable for you. And when Paul's instructing Titus here and teaching on these things and motivating people to engage in good deeds, it's not just listening to the Word of God. It's not just hearing about our salvation that's good and profitable for us. It's this participation in good deeds. Again, the verse says, so that those who have believed God, that's you and I, so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and are profitable for men. I want us to look at five things this morning in our lesson that are part of God's plan and that illustrate to us and prove to us that this really is good for us to do. This is profitable for us to do so that we would desire to do it on a regular basis. And the first one is here from Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 down through verse 10 that these good deeds have been prepared by God for our participation. You think about gentlemen maybe coming home from work one night and you get home and most of the lights in the house are out. You're saying, what's going on? And then you recognize that you don't hear the kids there at the babysitters and you say something good is happening. And then you look over at the dining table and your wife has it beautifully set. She's got the candles. They're lit. You can smell the aroma of your favorite meal just creeping towards you. And you say, whoa, a great meal has been prepared for me. If we see the preparation that our spouse has put into something, the effort that they've put into something, doesn't it make us appreciate it? Doesn't it make us stop and say, whoa, this is something that I need to pay attention to. This is something that is important. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Look at what God has prepared. Verse 8, by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Can I emphasize to you this morning that here we're reminded good deeds are not an afterthought of God. What did he say in verse 10? Which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Hundreds, thousands of years before you were ever born, God had in his mind some good deeds for you to participate in. Before you ever got home, your wife said, this is going to be our meal. Before you were ever conceived. God had a great plan. God had a plan to send His Son back in chapter 1 and in verse 4. The Bible says He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him. God had this plan to send Jesus to pay the price 
for our sin. And surely if he had this awesome plan, we know that he had this awesome plan for us not just to be saved, but to be servants. I'm so glad that we sang that song, the servant song, because these deeds that God is calling us to participate in have been prepared for us. Jesus had deeds that were expected of him over in John chapter 5. And in verse 36, we're reminded that just as he was a man, as the rest of us are men and women, he was expected to be engaged zealously in good deeds. In verse 36, he's kind of contrasting the works that John had performed versus the works that he was performing. And the Bible says, the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. The miracles that Jesus performed, the teaching that he was engaged in, those works testify about him. And God had, had planned and prepared for Jesus to be engaged in those good deeds. I want you to understand that God has not set up doing good, serving others as a burden on his people. He set it up as something that's good and profitable for us. And the works that he has given for us may be challenging, but the good news of the Scripture is that we are both physically capable and spiritually capable of, of being equipped and fulfilling our role and our responsibility in these deeds that God has prepared. Edwin make, made reference to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, that all Scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching and for reproof and for recreation and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. You're equipped, and I'm equipped, but you know what? What's awesome about God's Word is that we're still equipped for different things. We had what we called a work day every third Saturday of the month whenever I was preaching down uh, at a congregation in Leesburg, Florida. And we had well, this nice big bush that was out in our landscaping out front, and it had died. It was just orange. I mean, no green left on this thing. And I walked out there, and there was a good brother, and he had his shovel, and he was getting ready to get this bush out, clean up the landscape a little bit. And I looked at him, and I said, Brother, I don't know exactly how old you are, but I'm pretty sure that by this point in your life, you're supposed to be the brains of this operation, and I'm supposed to be the back. He said, I won't fight you for the shovel. And he over, and then that's what I could do. You know, we're all going to serve God and engage in different types of good deeds. We're going to be specifically equipped and specifically excited about different types of good deeds. You may have a great marriage and be able to help others growing in their marriage. You may be great with kids and help others raising their children. You may be great at visiting in the hospital and you just can provide encouragement in the words that you share with people. It doesn't matter what your good deed is. You're still equipped because you have the Scriptures to do it the way that God would desire and the way that God has really planned and prepared for you to get involved in. So I want you to appreciate the preparation he's put into this, that beforehand these works were planned by God. But next I want you to appreciate that these good deeds are to be zealously performed. Because it doesn't matter if you're handed the shovel or if you're handing someone some money to help out with a situation that they're stressed out with, or you're putting your hand in theirs for prayer, whatever good deeds you're engaged in, being zealous is not optional. Being zealous is not something you do when you're 30 or 20. Being zealous is not something you do if you feel like you were just specifically blessed with an outgoing or exuberant personality. Zeal and being zealous 
is not optional for any Christian. Let that sink in for a minute. When God talked to the church at Laodicea, remember what he said, I'd rather that you were hot or that you were cold, but since because you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. God takes a lack of zeal very seriously. When we look at our focus verse here in Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, we are reminded that zeal is to characterize the good deeds of every Christian. It is not optional. He gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So what does that mean? I know Edwin's going to do a sermon a little bit later exactly looking at what zeal means, but let's just start with a basic definition. It means giving great energy or great enthusiasm in a pursuit of a cause or an objective. In the Greek, we can look at Strong's word number 2204, and the word just means to be hot. We think about fire and that it's just hot. Or we think about a boiling pot of water and the energy that we would associate with those boiling bubbles and the heat that has been imparted to that water. We look at the Greek root, uh, the Greek words that are translated as zeal, 2206 and 2207. This brings out an emotional aspect of this term. That to have zeal means to have a warmth of feeling for. That whatever deed you're engaged in is a good deed for God. You're not doing it begrudgingly. You're not doing it under compulsion. You're not doing it because Edwin's watching you. You're doing it because you actually have an emotional commitment, an emotional investment in seeing this deed through. Again, because it's built on that foundation of God's good deed. When we think about this kind of zeal, a lot of people quickly ask me, well, how do I know if I really have that? How can I measure my zeal? We'll talk a lot about in our lesson on maximizing the impact of our good deeds, how to build your zeal if you find it insufficient. But take your Bibles over to Galatians chapter 4 for a moment. And let me give you three pointers for evaluating, am I really living with zeal and serving God with zeal in the good deeds that I engage in, since this is not optional? Galatians chapter 4, I want to draw your attention down to verse 15. Here Paul is, of course, speaking to all the Christians throughout the region of Galatia, and he's noting the kind of attitude that they had demonstrated when he was last with them. Verse 15. Where then is that sense of blessing that you had? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Remember, he's reminded them that they've gotten perverted in the gospel that they're clinging to. They've clung to another gospel and they've got to come back to the one true gospel. He says, what happened? Where was the zeal that characterized you in your service to God and your devotion even to me? When we think about this verse, we see, number one, that they had a great intensity in their desire to help Paul spread the gospel. He says they would have plucked their eyes out. This is one of those passages that make us believe Paul may have had some vision problems that hindered his proclamation of the gospel. The Galatians were so concerned about Paul's success that they said, if we could give you our eyes, we would. If we could make that personal sacrifice, Paul, if I had to go blind so that you could be more successful in proclaiming the gospel, I would go blind. I'd pluck my eyes out. That intensity of desire, that zeal that Paul sees in them. But it's not just that intensity. It's a frequency and a consistency. Because at this point, he says, what happened to that? 
At this point, he's pleading with them, please don't disregard this letter. I've written you this letter that we call the book of Galatians, and I've written it because I care about your soul. Don't treat me like a stranger. Don't treat these words that I'm speaking to you as words from an enemy. He said to them in verse 16, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? He looks at their zeal and he says their frequency, their consistency is waning. And sometimes if we're evaluating our own zeal in serving God, we can say, well, you know, I do some good deeds now and again or when it's convenient. That's not the kind of zeal that Paul expected in these brethren. And that's not the kind of zeal God expects from us either. And then you look at the extent of their involvement. What had Paul known of these brethren? They couldn't take their eyes out. They could not solve his vision problems. But you know what's interesting about the Galatian brethren? What they could do, they did do. They could extend their full fellowship to him while he was preaching among them. They could encourage him in the work, and no doubt he was quite encouraged in the relationships that he had with these brethren. What they could do, they did do. Now, you may not be able to do the same deeds that I can do, and I can't do the same deeds that you can do. But are you doing what you can very funny story. I have no idea whether or not it's true, but it was told by another preacher, and he said that he was having dinner with a little lady, and he was around this little table, kind of tucked into this little house in this little kitchen, and she uh, she said, you know, I would love to be more hospitable, and I would love to have people over and in my home and have Bible studies and singing and just share a good meal with other brethren, but God just hasn't given me a big house. And he said, you know, I looked at her and said, well, are you using the little house as much as you can. Maybe God will give you a bigger house when you outgrow this one. And the idea was he wanted her to think, am I, am I putting two or three people around this table? Am I putting three or four people around this table as often as I can? Is the extent of my involvement something that is pleasing to God because I need to be zealous in this? Peter is a great example of one whose zeal matured over time. We talked about a little bit morning, uh, this morning in our Bible class in relationships that you get Twitter-pated. You just get those fireworks and, oh, it's just hearts and love and everything. Then somebody else that's been married for 30 years or 40 years, their fireworks are different. Their fireworks are the trust they have in one another. Their fireworks are the reflections on the hard times they face that they've endured that together and that nothing is going to break the commitment and the bonds of marriage that God has blessed them with. Their fireworks have matured. And see, Peter's a great example of just shooting his mouth off, of running off, of picking up the sword, of hacking off the guy's ear. He had some zeal there in the beginning, didn't he? And then when we read 1 Peter, and when we read 2 Peter, we see that his zeal has matured. And he's teaching, and he's admonishing on a whole other level. And our zeal is not always going to be fireworks, but it should be always there. And it should be always growing in the grace and in the knowledge of God. We want to measure our zeal the way Paul measured the zeal of the Galatians. And we want to make sure that we perform things with zeal. A third thing I want you to know about these good deeds is that they are designed by God to meet the pressing needs around us. Here we'll focus again in the book of Titus in chapter 3 at verse 13 and at verse 14. In this particular context, Paul is telling Titus he's got some good deeds that are expected of him. There are going to be some Christians that are traveling through the area, and Titus is to make sure that those Christians do not go with their needs unmet. Verse 13 tells us, diligently 
helped Venus the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Now, why was it so important that Venus and that Apollos had Titus assistance? He says in verse 14, because our people must also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs, so that they will not be unfruitful. Our good deeds are designed to meet pressing needs. Needs that are immediate. Needs that even large organizations just cannot handle. You may have seen on the news a few years ago about a tornado that came through central Florida. It was about 200 feet from our front door. One of the large denominational buildings at the end of the road was totally, totally devastated. And then, boom, you had all of these different organizations trying to come into little old Lady Lake and try to help people out. And you would not believe the red tape. Oh, FEMA had a lot of forms for people to fill out, but not a lot of immediate help. Other uh, quote-unquote Christian groups seemed to have a lot of food that they were willing to pass out if you met their standards and their qualifications. And what we immediately began to observe is that large organizations, although they sometimes can be effective in the aid that they provide, cannot do what an individual Christian can do. And when God designed the church to stir us towards individual action and towards good deeds, he did not make a mistake in his plan. We have an awesome plan that God has given us because there are needs that we can meet that other people just won't be able to because of the red tape and because of some of the things that are involved in large organizations. It doesn't matter if it's a humanitarian organization like the Red Cross or if it's our own government with something like FEMA. We know that problems arise when individuals are left out of the equation. If you look back at Matthew chapter 21, we see an example of an individual and some needs being met. Matthew chapter 21, in verse 2 and in verse 3, the Bible says, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Did Jesus have to go rent a donkey? No. Did Jesus have to lease a donkey? No. Jesus just went and got a donkey from an individual. And he said, listen, if somebody asks you, why are you taking my donkey? Say, the Lord needs this donkey. And they'll send you on their way. It's not fancy. It's not complicated. There's no board of directors. But boy, it gets the job done. And we need to remember that individual needs have been getting the, or individuals Zealous for good deeds have been getting the job done for a long time. Back in Acts chapter 4, when we read in verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sale and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Individuals can do awesome, awesome Good deeds. Not only this, individual Christians are those that can, also, can often be the answer to the prayers of others. If the church is praying for a helper, we might have someone like Phoebe come along. As we read about in Romans chapter 16 in verse 2. When we are so blessed today, we cannot hold all those blessings for ourselves. We should view the blessings that God has given us as just another opportunity to pass them along 
and to be a blessing to those that we need around us. Verse 17 of 1 John chapter 3 says, Whoever has the world good and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Our love needs to be manifested by our zeal for good deeds. That when we see a need, we meet that need. We don't pass it off to somebody else. We don't say, oh, the deacons will have to take care of that. We strive zealously to take care of that because now is the only time that we have to meet these needs. In Luke chapter 16, you're probably familiar with the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. And when we look at the end of this parable here in Luke chapter 16, down around verse 28, we often come to this parable to talk about the sufficiency of the Scriptures. And it's excellent for making that point. Verse 28 says, I have five brothers. And in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear him. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Now, it's true the Scriptures are sufficient to convict and to convince. But what is it that the rich man expects his brothers to learn from one that might have been sent back? Or what is it that Abraham expects these brothers to learn from the Scriptures? expects them to learn not to look down and ignore the Lazaruses around them. And brethren, we need to take a hard look at our life and decide whether or not we're ignoring the Lazaruses around us. We need to look at the pressing needs that are in our community, that are in our families, that are in our congregations, and make sure that we meet those zealously. And there's a big reason for that, and that's our fourth point, because it is essential to being fruitful. If you come back with me to Titus chapter 3 and look over at four, verse 14 again, we'll let that be our focus text in reminding ourselves that God prepared these deeds. He prepared them for us to do with zeal. He prepared them so that pressing needs were not neglected. And He prepared them, as He says in verse 14, we must learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. The consequence of failing in this is a lack of fruit. And sometimes I think we forget that. Let me tell you about my palm tree that I had uh, back in my apartment in Houston. Love this little tree. Seven bucks at Walmart. Stick it in the corner, and it makes it look like I'm a better housekeeper because there's actually something alive in the apartment. Until it was there for a few days. And the leaves start getting brown and withering and yellowing and dying. And uh, Adam and Rosie actually came for a visit. And Adam said, what is wrong with that plant? I said, it doesn't matter. They're only $7. I'm going to throw it out and get a new one and stick it over there. In two weeks, if that one dies, I'll throw it out. I'll get a new one. I'll stick it over there. He said, is that good stewardship of God's blessing? Okay, point taken. So I've got to try to take care of this mess of a plant. And you know what I know to do? Water it. And 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 water it. It didn't help. So many times we're looking to be more fruitful. And brethren, we're killing ourselves by over-watering our hearts. Because somebody says, I want to be more fruitful. And we say, you should study your Bible. I want to be more fruitful. You should go to class. I want to be more fruitful. I've got this book. Read it. Study is super important. 
But it is not the only thing that helps you grow as a Christian. Just like watering is not the only thing that helps a plant grow, God is telling us here that unless we learn to engage ourselves in good deeds zealously, we're always going to be unfruitful. This is a key component in our fruitfulness, and we can't neglect it. All the watering in the world won't make up for leaving it out. The consequences of our failure are too serious for us to ignore this teaching. There are pressing needs that need to be met or we're going to be unfruitful. These good deeds will help us be fruitful in a whole bunch of ways if we'll just start doing them, if we'll start living them on a regular basis. Back in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 9 and verse 10, we're reminded that good deeds verify our sincerity. Just like God's good deeds, we're good at verifying His existence and good at verifying His character. When we perform good deeds, other people know that we take our Christianity seriously, that we take serving God seriously and we perform it with great sincerity. Verse 9 of Philippians 1 says, This I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. We want people to know that we are sincere. We want to be walking in a way that is blameless. And we'll do that with our good deeds. We also see in the letters to the Philippians in chapter 4 and verse 16 that good deeds are wonderful tools for helping us be more fruitful by assisting the weak as they seek to serve God. In verse 16, Paul thanks the Philippian brethren. He says, even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Can you consider for just a moment that that may have been the most fruitful deed the Philippians were ever involved in. Because the work that Paul did is still bearing fruit today. And the help that they provided him enabled him to spread the gospel then and enables us to have a record of that gospel message even today. I tell you, when we help someone else in their good deeds, when we help someone else in their service to God, you never know what kind of fruit that's going to produce. Let me brag on Edwin for a second. He doesn't know I was going to bring this up. You guys are bearing fruit right now through Edwin, through the fall focus y'all did a couple of years ago, on prayer. Because the work that you enabled him to do in studying prayer and in writing his book on prayer was something that was a blessing to me and then was a blessing to the congregation at Beverly Shores, and then they bought copies of the book and that passed it out to other people throughout the community. And it wasn't just three weeks ago I had someone at East End come and say, I really want to develop my prayer life further. I said, great, I know what book to give you. You may not know all the people that you've helped through that, but when you're engaged in good deeds and helping someone like Edwin perform his good deeds, you're bearing fruit that you, and you're multiplying that fruit. We should always remember that these good deeds will help us be fruitful in ways that we may not see, but that God sees and that God values. Because as we do these things, we are getting the exercise that we're told about in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. And you can't grow without exercise. Verse 8 says, bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. We know that to be fruitful, to be physically fit, 
we need a good diet and a good exercise program. That's true of our bodies. We need to eat what's right, and we need to use them in a way that's effective. Spiritually, when you come here every Sunday and every Wednesday, you're getting a good spiritual meal. But are you exercising? Are you working out your spiritual muscles? I started with some high school kids and taking them to a nursing home. And you know what the first thing they said? It smells like old people. They're kind of honest. And they didn't want to spend very long there, about 15 minutes. But you know what? The next week when it went back, they're a little more comfortable. Their spiritual muscles are getting exercised a little bit more. They spend 30 minutes. And the next time we go back, we can spend 45 minutes. The next time we go back, we can spend an hour worshiping with those shut-ins and singing songs together and lifting up those brethren that could not come to our assembly. And was it easy for them? No. But they needed some spiritual exercise to build that muscle. And when we engage in good deeds, we are exercising our faith. When we assist the weak, we're multiplying our fruitfulness and we're verifying our sincerity. This is so important for us to appreciate about God's good deeds. And then the fifth and final thing I tell you about God's plan for our good deeds this morning is that they are to please God, but not just a little bit. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10 tells us that they are to please God in all respects. In every manner, we want God to be pleased by the deeds that we choose to engage in. Verse 10 of chapter 1 of Colossians says, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. If we get out there in those good works, we are going to be bearing fruit, but only if we've made it our focus to please Him in every respect. And the good deeds will please Him because good deeds demonstrate our respect for Him. If you tell your kids, get over here right now, or go clean your room, or get your homework done, or come help me out with this, or tell your mother I love you, or whatever you tell your kids, if they obey, then they're showing that they honor you. They're showing that they respect and are willing to submit themselves to your authority. And that makes you feel good about your relationship with your kids. The same thing is true of God. When we follow His commands to engage in good deeds, He does look at us and say, I am well pleased by those deeds. He does see that we respect Him enough to not dismiss His commandments, but to mold our life around them. We remind, we're reminded of their fitting even for His family. God has shown Himself to be a holy God, and He's asked us as His, brothers, as his sons and His daughters to be holy. And when we engage ourselves in good deeds, we're manifesting that holiness to the world around us. God has shown Himself a loving God that's willing to sacrifice for the good of His creation. And we show ourselves loving and willing to sacrifice, fitting in His family. And then we please God because we are assisting those that God loves. Matthew chapter 25 is probably the perfect text to look at when Jesus says, as much as you did this to one of the least of these, you did it to me. And we need to think about as we engage ourselves in good deeds throughout the month of October, that you're not just doing this to the person you work with. You're not just doing this to a nameless person. You're engaged in this good deed because you're serving God. And you are assisting those who He loves. Because these good deeds will please God as we learn 
hands-on. You've probably noticed, as most people have, that more and more schools are adopting internship-type programs. More and more middle schools and high schools are doing hands-on labs, dissecting things in biology or blowing stuff up in chemistry if you're lucky and get to have fun. Uh, colleges are sending people out and they're saying, I don't want you to just study about being in business. I want you to go do an internship for three or six months and participate in that. Why? Because just reading about it and doing it are entirely different things. When I was in uh, middle school, a lady from the paper came and she was asking kids various questions. She said, what is your favorite activity? And I said, I love to swim. Well, boy, the paper came out and my mom was all excited because I was going to be in the paper. And she goes and she gets it and she finds the article and she reads it and she says, Phyllis, why did you tell them that you love to swim? I said, I love to swim. She said, you don't know how to swim. I said, yeah, you just put one arm and you do, you paddle. She said, but you would think. I said, but I do know how. Isn't there a big difference between knowing that you paddle your arms and kick your feet and actually staying afloat or moving from one side of the pool to the other? Big difference. Now, there's a big difference between just reading about feeding the hungry and feeding the hungry. And there's a big difference between reading about sitting and encouraging the widow and actually sitting and encouraging the widow. You learn something new. And we want continue to grow and to continue to learn in the way that we please our Father. In Hebrews chapter 5 and in verse 14, we're told solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. We need to be practicing this discernment of good and evil. We need to be practicing the good deeds that God has prepared beforehand for us so that we will please Him in all respects and so that we will grow in our understanding of these fantastic deeds. I want to thank you so much for your attention this morning, but I want to end with one more thought. Take your Bibles back to where we started in Ephesians in chapter 2, in verse 8 through 10. Because there are some people that would say, Philip, I cannot believe that you have taken one of the most beautiful verses about grace in the whole Bible and made it about works. I can't believe you took one of the most awesome verses about grace in the whole Bible and you focused on the deeds and the good works of verse 10. Let's go back and read it. Verse 8, By grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We are going to talk a lot about engaging ourselves in good deeds in the next couple of lessons we get to study together. But I want you to notice something from verse 10. These are for people who are creating in Christ Jesus. And as we end our lesson this morning, I want to ask you, have you been created? Have you been born again in Christ Jesus? Because all the lessons on engaging the deeds are not going to do you any good until you know that you're ready to engage in them as a child of God. Because your good deeds, your good deeds are nice. Your good deeds can glorify God, but your good deeds cannot save you. And that's the whole point of verse 9. You could be the most zealous person around and it's not going to make a difference if you have not been created anew 
in Christ Jesus. So we want you to know about one of God's most awesome good deeds. In Colossians, in chapter 2 and verse 12, Paul said, Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. Did you catch that phrase? In baptism, this was the working of God. Edwin could put you in the water back here. He could get a bar of soap and he could scrub until the end of time and he'd never get your sin off. I could put you in the water back here. I could scrub till the end of time. I would never get your sin off. What did this verse say? You were buried and you were raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. If you would submit yourself to be baptized in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that I'm not going to scrub and Edwin's not going to scrub, but the blood of Jesus Christ and the working of God can remove your sin and create in you a clean and new heart where you can serve Him, zealous for good deeds. If you're ready to be born again, to be created in you in Jesus Christ, then we invite you to let God perform this amazing good deed in your life while we stand and sing the song Selected.